Hi everybody, it's Bob Tulio. Welcome to Automatic Merchandisers Vending and OCS Nation, the podcast for the convenience services industry. Today's topic, it's an operator's journey, hard work, tenacity, and technology, how Barry Rosenberg survived and then thrived. I first met Barry Rosenberg from Vending One in the 1990s at Saban Entertainment in Los Angeles. Saban created the Power Rangers. I was impressed that a one-man operation had somehow landed a major vending account as my company had the coffee service. Over 20 years later, Rosenberg is a force to be reckoned with. He always was, but now he's an established operator who in early August was interviewed for an article in the Wall Street Journal. Barry has come a long way, and in this episode of Vending in OCS Nation, he shares his story, some advice, and his genuine love for the industry. Any operator who has ever been in the trenches will certainly be able to relate to this interview. So just tell us about your journey. When did you get started in this business and why? I was a one-man band uh, at that yeah, at that time. I had probably just finished paying off big chunks to my debt, or maybe I had just gotten married and had a first child. I'd probably been operating for, I don't know, five, six years at that point, you know, like one man in a van when we met. And that was kind of the beginning of really of my journey. That was when I really got to the point that I said, okay, I'm going to do this full time and seriously. Um, like most people, I started with nothing. I really built my business just a piece at a time, one piece of equipment at a time. Again, to give some credit back to you again, you and your organization were really instrumental in helping me in those early days. A lot of things I can share that you may not even know you did for me <laughs> or your people did for me out of, you know, nothing but the kindness of your hearts, you know, really, truly, um, you know, when you start as a one man band and you don't have the resources, you look to other people. And I definitely look to you as, you know, established operator. You did some incredibly kind things. You let me into your business, right? And if we talk about that today, that's almost unheard of, right? For someone to let, let a competitor come into your business, see your operation, offer you support, which you guys definitely did, you know, beyond, beyond just sales support, you offered me all kinds of support. And it really had an impact on my development. And I've tried just, you know, to give that back. I've tried to help other people along the way. I still do. I'm huge about giving back. I, I have this belief that we, you know, you have to help people coming up, you know, and since so I started just as a, like a one man band, uh, garage operator, home-based business, however people want to interpret that, that was me. Yeah. And when I remember back to that meeting at Saban Entertainment, and like I said, yeah, I'm going to give you a little more information just to help maybe give us some flavor. I want to say Saban had 500 people at that time. Oh yeah, it was huge. Well, but when we met, but when we met, they, it was before the preface of their crazy growth. So that, like we met, I want to say there was three or four floors of vending, let's say six machines, eight machines, you know, dozens of coffee makers, what have you. When we left, there was like 20 floors. Yeah. Right. There was a yeah. huge amount of coffee and, pa and pantry and OCS. And, you know, they got, they cost the company was sold to Disney, to Disney. Yeah. Um, but. But we left at, you know, on, and it was a huge win on the way out for least yeah. I think for you, maybe not as much for me, but you know, we had grown. I, it was definitely the preface of me growing into like a bigger company. It, it gave me that opportunity to put all equipment out and learn and make mistakes. And, you know, a lot came out of that. So how, how did a one man show get a location like that? I, I told them the truth. Like I, I, you know, I would sit and wait in that lobby to try to get a glimpse of him. And I just said, like, I really need this business. And I really did. It was one of the first real big accounts that I got. 
And I said, you know, I, I will bust my butt for you and I will work and I will try. And I, I used to fill the machines myself. And, you know, I think some of that resonated with him yeah. to take a chance. And, and a lot of times that's, I think, what sales is sometimes just being persistent, you know, because we all know unless it's broken, they don't change or fix it. Right. Right. Unless right. it's broken. And they yeah. and they were broken. That was the issue. They were broken. They were having problems. So what are the scope of services that your company offers right now? So, so, so we've grown a lot. So some of those early days, we do, again, vending, micromarkets, pantry, coffee service, water cooler rentals, ice, right? Everything under the umbrella that we think of today as a full service company. You know, we, we've got about 20 some odd employees. Interesting, maybe or not, pre-COVID, I had more of a management team that supported me. I had an office manager, a general manager, a warehouse manager, a maintenance manager. And during COVID, that those were the most expensive people for me. And it was really painful to let some of them go. Some of it was for the better. They they're they're in a lot of the most in fact they're all in better places. But I thought I thought I was going down with the ship. As you yeah. know me to be, I really believed I was going to go down with the ship. And I didn't want to take anybody unnecessarily with me. Has it been a difficult journey for you or is it has it been a fun time overall? <laughs> Again, it's funny because you've known me for so long. It's been a very tough journey. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, to grow without the cap, I didn't have any capital. And capital, we even I've talked about many times, is the challenge. I mean, you, you understand that Absolutely. better than anybody. Growing with out of your own cash flow, very painful. But so not not having access to capital was very painful. And what's funny is now I have great relationships with the banks. I can walk in, I can get loans. As you know, you just, it's literally two days. You can have a loan, six digits, no problem. But 25 years ago, 20 years ago, you couldn't get a loan to buy a machine. And especially when you're starting up, the failure rate was so high of small companies. The, 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 the couple lenders were really hesitant to lend. And I thought I had a great relationship with my bank. And, and they would never lend me anything. Sure, sure. So you think the greatest challenge out there for small operators is undercapitalization? I think that's part of it. I think that's yeah. definitely a part of it. I think it's a, it's almost like baking a cake sometimes, I say. You know, you don't need to. It's not all sugar. It's not all flour. It's not all, you know, beating your eggs. It's the right ingredients, the right proportions that give you this beautiful thing. And I think, you know, as a small operator, I, I've talked to lots of people that will say, you know, if I could only get that big account, if I could just land a college, if I could land a hospital, if I could. And I often explain to them that it's a two sided, two, sorry, double bladed sword. You get that big account. Now all your eggs are in one basket. And like using Saban Entertainment, when you lose that account, Saban Entertainment was like 25 percent, 30 percent of my revenue when I lost them. And I had to pick all the machines up and put them in storage. And I went into overdrive. I really did. I, I flipped and I freaked. I had a young family and I just lost 25% of my route. So that, when people always say that to me, I always remind them, like, it, it sounds good on paper, but there's two sides. But let's talk about before yeah. the pandemic and yeah. you, you had this team in place. How many employees total? Pre-pandemic, we were probably around, I'm going to say 30 some odd employees. Okay. We had a the, the, so pre-pandemic, I can remember it like yesterday, we were busting at the seams. We didn't have enough warehouse space or office space. We didn't have, we had, you know, pe people, you know, sitting everywhere and the good times were rolling. And I couldn't, and we, and we, so we have two warehouses. We had two warehouses. Then we have a warehouse in Anaheim, warehouse in Van Nuys. 
and we were just busting at the seams. People were literally tripping over each other. Um, what we hadn't done yet was the real integration of the technology that we have now. One of the things that for me was a lot of my people were against it. And that's not everybody. And I don't think I had the vision or really the understanding at that time of what was needed to integrate. So today I feel confident I could integrate another company easily. We expand easily. But back then, you know, change is hard. And so I had a lot of pushback from my people. And that, so letting them go opened the world back up for me to actually finish those integrations. And that's what we're a product of. So you went to 30-some employees pre-pandemic, yeah. Yeah. money rolling in, things yeah. are fantastic, 2019. And then, of course, the world stops. And you break it down to how many employees ultimately. I want to say, we again, the entire, like five, six managers were let go, half the drivers, half the warehouse. I mean, I want to say we got down to a skeleton crew of 14 people or 12 people in that range. We got, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and even that wasn't like, it was like, okay, if this goes even worse, you know, it'll be me on a route, one manager, you know, to save his job on a route and one or two drivers and everyone else was going to go. The original phone calls that came in, were were closing for two weeks. So we were try I was trying to hold on to everybody because I figured, oh, we'll come back, especially when you train a team and you build a team and you spoon feed that team to replace them is very painful and difficult. Yes. It's very hard to get rid of good people. It's very hard. So you want to keep them at all costs. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely what I was doing. I was trying to keep my people as long as possible. But it, like I said, what when, it, when we got the, started getting the notices, like not just the school, I remember what it was, it was one day where we just cut like half the drivers. And I just went around with tears in my eyes as they came back one by one. You know, I sat them down. I was, I was in tears. I was apologetic. They had given me so much of their lives. And I just explained that I didn't have an answer, but I would call them back as I did when it, we recovered. But I, I just didn't know when that would be. That was yeah. pre low. There was no government money at that time. It was strictly that the boat is going down and I was trying to save the boat. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I was trying to do. So so fast forward, post-pandemic, things are starting to come back a little bit. When did you have this light go on that it's time to embrace technology and keep your overall costs down and run your company more efficiently? So again, going back to technology, that journey, which I talk to people a lot about this, it's a long journey. It's not people sometimes think they're going to set up light speed and we're cantaloupe users, USAT, par level. When you, you think you're just going to flip a switch and there's a whole need at the management level to set up your company to work with these systems. And that's the mistake I think a lot of people, including myself, make. You don't understand the amount of management setup and structure to build, to make the organization run. So it, it had been something I had been working on, again, pre-pandemic for really for years, but the people who worked for me were against it. They were against change. They didn't understand the technology. They couldn't see the technology. And so we had light speed. We're definitely, we're not using it as well as we could have been, as well as we are today. We were pre-kidding, of course. We were playing with dynamic scheduling. And again, change, I'm going to go back to, is very hard. So, but it took us a couple of years to really integrate it. But at this point, we're fully integrated and, it, and because of that, we need less people. We need less management because it's all based in the system. It's, it's an incredibly powerful way to run a company. 
And you think that this is the solution for small operators out there to to really compete on the same level as the big guys? So again, great question. The first cost, whether you like it or not, and I say this to, to everyone, you have to put a card reader on every machine. I don't care if the machine makes $5 a month or $500 a month or $5,000 a month. Until you have a card reader on every single machine, it's almost worthless. And I, I battled that because of the cost of the readers, the, t- we, the time, the effort right, to go install them. It's a lot of work, but it pays tremendous dividends. But when you're a smaller operator, it's hard to see that benefit. Post-COVID, I'd say cashless sales in some cases are 100%. Yeah. We, we are doing as many new customers as we can cashless. Yeah. But, yeah. but a lot of people still, you know, I'll talk to them and they'll have big companies and they'll say they don't have readers on every machine. And I just say, why? You know, and the, and the response is always, well, it won't pay for it. And I, I understand that. But the offset is so valuable. You see yeah. everything. Buy the card readers, buy them 10 at a time, five at a time, 20 at a time, and get all of your machines, no matter how bad, replace the boards, the EPROMs, whatever you have to do, get the DEX. It's all about the DEX data. Get that data coming back, and then you go to the next level of the journey, because that's only the first level. There's there's multiple steps in it, but that's, that is the most important, and I know the most expensive, and I know most painful, but it really is vital. Vital, Excellent. vital, vital. So what do you love about being an operator? Wow. So I have this joke that I like to say that vending is like a virus. <laughs> I can give it to you. I can give it to somebody else, but I can never get rid of it. I, I don't think we can do much else besides this. It's in my blood at this point. It's in your blood. It's what we know. Now, you've got you've got a fair amount of employees now, which yeah. creates a whole new set of issues. Yeah. But is it still hard work? It was hard work in the past. Is it still yeah. hard work? I'd say it's always hard work, right? I mean, I, I think I think the vending and coffee business are always hard work. It's just different types of hard work. So it's it's still the long hours. I don't start as early, but I definitely work as late. I asked Rosenberg if his approach to selling new accounts has changed over the years. One of the things you and I, I remember you telling me years ago was like when someone calls and asks for pricing on the phone, you say, yeah, I don't do that or you can't do that with my stuff, right? Because they just they're just shopping prices. So I'm really big always on trying to get that person-to-person meeting. When someone I get a lead or a request, I'm always trying to get in front of them. And I'm always trying to find the pain point or the solution of what they're looking for. And I've made a lot of good business that way because you you get there. And as, you, again, you taught me, you find other opportunities. Hey, what about your water? Hey, I see you have this coffee maker. How's the service? What about that? I mean, and a lot of times it's people who are shopping at Costco for pantry who don't really like it. Barry, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. That's it for now. By the way, we are moving up to three episodes a month. So please subscribe to Vending and OCS Nation if you haven't already, so you do not miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Bob Tulio.